Hi there, my name's Oshin Lunny and this is Audio Talks, presented to you by Harman. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring the eternal popularity of audio-first content, the renaissance of spoken word like audio storytelling and podcasts, and we'll be taking a glimpse into an interactive and immersive future. To paraphrase the great Ron Burgundy, podcasts are kind of a big deal. According to NPR's 2020 Spoken Word Audio Report, 75% of all Americans listen to spoken word audio each month. Its share of listening has increased by 30% over the past six years and by 8% in the last year alone. And today, a staggering 43% of Americans listen to spoken word content every day. But what's behind our connection to the audio and spoken word format? What's so hot right now and what's coming next? I'm thrilled to be joined today by a pair of audio pioneers. Axel Mansour, musician, songwriter, face of the Clubhouse app and founder of the hugely popular Lullaby Club. Welcome, Axel. Thank you for having me. And Daniel Nathan, one of the leading lights of the radio industry, a technology pioneer and a tireless innovator. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Hello. Now, a previous guest on our podcast, Carlson Olison, stated in 2019 that we were entering an era of the sound first mindset. And after a decade that was dominated by visual media and culture, sound is finally taking centre stage again. And we can see this in the audio gear that people are installing in their homes, in their cars and in new emerging formats like immersive audio. So it does feel like we're reconnecting with something very profound in terms of the human experience. Axel, our need to connect is a really deep one. I'd love it if you could explore this idea from the viewpoint of an artist. And uh, what role does audio play in terms of how you connect and express yourself as an artist and how you connect with the world? All right. Starting simple. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. No, I love it. As an artist and specifically as a musician, obviously audio is, is huge. Our need to connect, I think, is baked in. You know, it's a biological need. Like society has grown from tribal systems, right? And we needed to band together because otherwise we wouldn't be able to survive. I think there's a biological imperative. And even though now we live in cities and we have all these resources where we may not need to band together or we're going to get murdered by wolves. Like now we still need that connection because without that connection, we wither and we die without social connections. I think COVID has been an amazing example of that. You know, we've been isolated, uh, cut off from most of our friends, definitely family members. um, And people, you know, have been so anxious and so depressed. In addition to a global health pandemic, it has created a mental health pandemic. And I think that just really reflects our actual need to be connected to one another. And the voice very specifically, which is, you know, the centerpiece in music or, I mean, I guess music where there's a voice, but podcasting as well, audio in general, when there's the human voice, there's something about the human voice and hearing it even without the context of other senses, you know, without the visual sensor or without like touch or taste or anything else, just the sound of the voice really stokes the imagination. It really like, it connects people. And when you hear somebody talk versus read what they write, there's a level of intimacy in the voice that you don't get without it. And as an artist, I'm very... I wouldn't say concerned with, I love intimacy. 
it's it's a huge part of my art. It's a part of why I make music to create an intimate connection with myself, but also to create an intimate connection with those around me. So I think this return to audio, it's it's like it's almost like the prodigal son, like it's coming home, like <laughs> to, to something that we know deeply and internally really means something to us. Yeah. Well said. That's beautiful answer. Thank you. So, Daniel, we heard there from Axel uh, about, you know, human history and evolution. We've evolved from these tribal systems and storytelling around the campfire uh, to being able to reach the world in real time via the Internet and via digital channels. And you've actually been an integral part of the evolution of radio in the UK for many decades. How have you seen audio evolve as a format uh, to connect people in this way? Again, a huge question. Um, I mean, for, for what, not, not as huge as, as, as Axel's point about it being for, for millennia that human beings have interacted in, in, in this way. Actually, when I was thinking about this morning, it struck me as um, actually quite remarkable that the idea of, of, of radio, one-to-many voice transmission, is barely over a century old, which in human wow. history seems, is in itself extraordinary, the first ever human voice Reginald Fassenden was broadcast in the year 1900. In fact, Radio is Entertainment is only a century old this, really, this year, which seems crazy in a way, considering wow. I've been alive for quite a large proportion of that time, which is also crazy. So, you know, radio, as we now know it, as we feel it's part of what has always been there, is a great storytelling medium. It's the soundtrack to our lives. It has been historically companionship, shared moments, voices and songs at home, when we travel, at work, at play. It is something we can do. We can listen to these stories and these songs while we do other things. I mean, thinking about where radio came from, so the original broadcasters were kind of crazy visionary scientists, people like Guglielmo Marconi. And that free experimental crazy side of radio, which we're seeing again with new technology in this century, was was largely sidelined by state broadcasters and over time, corporate and, and commercial radio. The original indies. It, indeed. So something that tells us about how shocking and powerful this new medium was, famously in 1938, Orson Welles' dramatization of the War of the Worlds had the United States had people all over the country believing that they were about to, to suffer a Martian invasion and people panicked. And it was an extraordinary thing to see the power of this nascent medium that then state broadcasters were able to harness for propaganda through wartime and not just through wartime, even through the Cold War that lasted as recently as up till 1989, radio still being a powerful thing. Radio as a, as a consumer item. So the pocket-sized transistor radio, cheap and ubiquitous, coincided with that post-war boom and consumer-driven youth culture and American popular music taking on the world. And in the UK, pirate radio from ships at sea, soundtracking the decade of the 60s, eventually forcing change from state-run broadcast to the BBC to kind of mimic and adopt that. Radio is such an important driver or, or accompaniment, maybe accompanying that change. I do want to, to mention one more thing. There was a, then a, a recovery of a move to kind of not-for-profit community 
focused and grassroots radio emerging in the 1970s and 80s in countries like Australia and Canada. And by the 90s, there was a worldwide movement of non-conformist, community-focused media. But all the way through this, this is still broadcasting one-to-many. And we come full circle to where this podcast is really themed, which is where radio is evolving. And the end of the last century kind of bookends a period where you could call it steam radio ends in the year 2000. And everything since then is the stuff that we're really here to talk about today. I love that term, steam radio. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Daniel, you've kind of been talking the story there of radio evolution. Has technology always been a part of it or have there been many factors involved in this evolution of radio? I think technology has been a part of it. And we're going to come back to how the acceleration in change in the last two decades. Again, technology has laid the groundwork. It produces good things and there are some things that are not so good, but you can't reverse from that. I mean, I mentioned you know, there are key moments and the transistor radio was quite a significant movement from radio in as a shared family experience to being something that was pocketable and, and cheap in every young person's life. Clearly the key change at the beginning of this century was the iPod itself as a design statement was a tribute to Dieter Ram's classic Braun transistor radio. Wow. If you look at the design there, so it's... um. Johnny Ives, clearly with a nod to Dieter Rams, and actually as a pivotal moment in the evolution of audio, you can't underestimate how important the iPod was. And then that's in in 2004, I think, and then up to 2007, then the iPhone and the billions of smartphones that follow. Clearly, technology has enabled a huge amount of change. Not all of it good, but the change nonetheless. Outstanding. And you mentioned there the, the rise of mobile, which brings us on to, uh, of course, the hottest app of the moment, which is Clubhouse. And Axel is the face of Clubhouse. If you open the Clubhouse app, if you install it, which I recommend, you'll see Axel's face there. It's phenomenal. And this is on the back of your enormously popular Lullaby Club, which is just lovely. So, you know, first, Axel, congratulations for the great collaboration with Clubhouse. It's very inspiring. Thank you. It would be lovely to hear the story of the Lullaby Club, you know, how it came together and, uh, you know, what's been happening and how have people responded? It's funny. Lullaby Club started as me going on to Clubhouse, uh, maybe the first or second time. And I saw that it was an audio only app, but there was this really interesting dynamic and Daniel has put it really well. Usually with podcasts, it's one to many. And what I saw immediately was like, Oh, this is many to many. That's new. You know, the power of that is, you know, I I just, I didn't even know what exactly I was dealing with, but I knew it was different. And being a musician and having live streamed on previous platforms, you know, like Twitch and, uh, you now and I beta tested for Facebook Live, and so I'm, I'm not I'm no stranger to live streaming, you know, music performances. And the first question that I had was, "Is anybody playing music on this?" Yeah. And it was early enough in Clubhouse's history, and there wasn't really anybody playing music. There was maybe wow. one other guy who, incidentally, um, also was the previous app icon, Bumani. Aha. Uh-huh. But even he wasn't really playing. He had like a music themed night, but he wasn't really playing live music. 
it was like, it's this club that he created called the Cotton Club, where it was like this jazz themed club and people would play jazz and like role play that it was like this like jazz club. Um, and you had to like change your photo to a, a black and white photo of a famous jazz musician to get in, quote unquote. Um, so very cool, you know, very cool, high concept. But there wasn't really anybody just playing songs for people. And that is a thing that I love to do. It's it makes me happy. It makes people happy. It's a win win. And I went in and I found this room and it was called the silly room. And this is early in Clubhouse, you know, 20, 30 people in a room was a lot. That was like, oh, this wow. is a this is a big room. And I saw this room, silly room. And I went in and it was about, must have been midnight or maybe 1 a.m. I had just finished a, a, a studio session and I saw that everybody was on stage. Everybody was muted. No one was talking. And I was very confused. And I was like, hello? And so one person responds and I, and I go, you know, would anybody like to hear a song? And then everybody unmutes. And they're like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Like, we'd love to hear a song. <laughs> and... Um, I ended up finding out that the reason that they were in that room was because they were going for the, the record of longest consecutive room in Clubhouse. Um, and so they had kept it. I walked in on the sixth day on the app. Um, and so they were just idling in the room, you know? So they were looking for something. Uh, you know, they were hoping for some sort of entertainment or something to happen. It was me and I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll play a song. And because it was late, I, I played it. I took us, I don't even remember what I played, but I played really softly because it was super late. And I was like, well, let me, let me sing like, you know, softly to these people. And then they all loved it and they were all super supportive and really cool. They're like, who's this guy? Like, who's Axel? Like, what, what's happening? Um, and they, they were like, just keep playing, like play us another one. And I kept playing songs. I, I must've stayed in the room for like an hour just playing songs and like wow. just people being really sweet and supportive and at one point, somebody said, uh, oh, it's like you're playing us lullabies. And that idea kind of, I guess, stuck with me. But it's not like it wasn't like, oh, right then I knew. It was just, OK, yeah. yeah. And I kept doing that just whenever I felt like it. It was just for fun. Uh, and I would even open up my own room. I would call it single serve serenades. And people <laughs> would walk in. But there would be like one person, two people. Like there was not a lot of people coming through. And I was really doing it yeah. just because... It was really fun. It, it was this way for me to connect with people over the internet, not feel alone and share my music and get also really great feedback. It was this very connective experience that made me want to keep coming back. And then in January, I was still doing it, but it was very on and off. But it, word of mouth had kind of grown to the point where now there was like 30, 40-ish people at a time coming and hanging out in Lullaby Club. But it was very... Uh, I, I would just do it whenever I wanted. There was no real structure to it. And mm. I was approached by who is now my business partner. Her name's Aviva. And she approached me and said, Hey, I think what you're doing here is really special. People are really loving it. Like people are talking about it outside of the room. Let's have a, a talk about maybe trying to turn this into something. And we talked about it and our visions really aligned and we're like, okay, cool. And the, the first big decision that we made was, our meeting was on January 10th and January 11th was the first lullaby club where we decided that we would do it every night, like from then on forth. Um, wow. And once we started doing it every night, things exploded. Like it went, it went from being 
30, 40 people in the room. Within two weeks, there was 400 people in the room every night. Celebrity, wow. like Scooter Braun had popped in, Charlie Puth had popped in, Paris Hilton had popped in. The founders of the app started coming. It just, wow. it was this stratospheric sort of rise within the app. And what was crazy is this whole time, it was really just motivated by having fun. You know, I did a room yesterday on Clubhouse that was called How to Be the Face of Clubhouse with Axel Mansour. And it's, a, it's kind of a joke <laughs> title because I became the face of Clubhouse by not caring at all about becoming the face of Clubhouse. I was just, you know, there are people with way more followers than me. There's people who are super high powered on the app that I'm sure were vying for it and wanted to, wanted to get it. I didn't have them. I think I had 2000 followers when they made me the, uh, the, the face of the app. And it was really just me connecting to others through my own value system. Yeah. And that just proliferating and people feeling that and wanting to be a part of it. And it is now this global community. We've done lullaby clubs for the Chinese community on the Chinese time zones. We're doing one for Australia. We've done one for Europe. We've done one for Japan. We're being asked to do one for South America. And it's only been two and a half months. But as of today, we will have our, our 73rd consecutive show. Wow. In a row. My goodness. That's superb. And we will, of course, include a link to the Lullaby Club <laughs> in our show notes. So if you're listening, if you're curious, click through and join Axel in the time zone that suits you. But Axel, you, I believe you had some, who was it? John Legend popped by. John Mayer, the other day. one of the Johns. John the Mayer, other I beg John. Your <laughs> The other John. Yeah, I get them mixed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> do people kind of pop by and join in a performance or do they kind of come and, and listen? Both. I'm incredibly picky about who plays on sort of the main lullaby club stage. But once, so we, there's a whole team now that reviews applications. I mean, since this started, which again, has been two and a half months, we've reviewed over 300 like people submitting to play, uh, which has wow. been absolutely wild. And we've had about 95 musicians play over these last two and a half months, which has just been incredible. And it's that's why it's become this massive community. And so people do like, I, they're my lullaby club homies. Like they will pop in at times and just do like a song. But John Mayer was actually, that was a surprise. I had no idea that that was happening. And I'm the biggest John Mayer fan. <laughs> like he was a massive influence on me uh, in terms of my writing and my singing. And just as a musician, he's probably my biggest teacher. Wow. And to have him come into, come into, people are like, he came into your house. Like, you know, it's like, he, <laughs> he came into Lullaby Club and, you know, asked me if he could play a song and asked, you know, what song would I like to hear? And you know, I've, I've interacted with a lot of celebrities since this has happened. And usually it doesn't phase me. Like, I'm just like, celebrities are people. Like, there's no reason to, to treat them any differently. In fact, they want to be treated like just regular people. But with John Mayer, there's such an emotional connection and I was surprised and I'd just woken up and I was like a deer in headlights. I like, I like didn't, I was trying to play it cool, but it, I, it did not come off cool. <laughs> it's just like me, me bumbling in front of my hero. Uh, mm. It was a crazy experience. 
Truly. That's a beautiful moment. Okay. Real magic does happen in Lullaby Club. The link is in the show notes. Click through, join in. Uh, That's amazing, Axel. Thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, Daniel, coming over to yourself, this is an example of a really exciting new development. It's powered by technology, uh, but it's all about having an experience which is powered by audio and based on audio. Are, Are there any kind of new audio experiences that you are particularly excited about, Daniel? I suppose fast forwarding to where I'm at at the moment, one of the things that I, you know, that we're discussing here is social radio and social audio. And here's something slightly off beam, but one of the main directions I've seen broadcast radio adapt to, or something that I've encouraged to happen, is is something we call social radio through a project called Platform B here in Brighton, which is a youth focused. I suppose, a licensed pirate radio station. And it is run by and for a community of 16 to 24-year-olds. And the idea was to base that in a social environment, in in an iconic, legendary music venue called the Green Door Store here in in Brighton, but also to pop up and be in the real world in physical locations, in stores, in colleges. And of course, all of that came to a halt with the pandemic a year ago. And this idea of a sort of social hub where the program creators can meet and magic can happen and artists can meet and collaborate was kind of atomized. We had to adapt quickly to to seeing this work from people's home environments to broadcast from their bedroom studios, recording on voice notes on a phone and cutting things together. But something was lost. And so something that I, I was really interested in seeing is whether we could use a VR environment to bring the crew back together again. And I was eager that it shouldn't be a high-end exclusive gaming environment that required really top quality, expensive hardware. And scouting around, we found I mean, there, are, there are other platforms available, and I wouldn't say we're committed necessarily to one or the other, but the Mozilla Hubs platform, Mozilla being the foundation that is best known for the Firefox browser, have this platform that works across devices. And we need to think about the fact that most of our crew and many of their listeners don't have a state-of-the-art Xbox, PlayStation, or VR headset or console. And so we went about using a technique called photogrammetry to recreate, to scan in 3D this virtual venue with the intention that we would make radio happen from within it, where the crew could then meet together and ultimately to see whether we could put live performances, DJs, MCs, eventually full bands, conversation, poetry, spoken word events in a public setting in this, in this situation and broadcast them as well. And as it happens, last night, Asheen, you were, a, you were one of the attendees <laughs> on our inaugural night. You were one of about 300 people that attended probably 20 versions of this venue that we created because... There is actually a limit on the number of people that can attend in each space. Mm-hmm. You're all watching the same event. You might gather together with a group of friends. And so this is kind of just the beginning of an adventure that is removed from radio, but actually was born out of radio. And so that's my story. Outstanding. Yeah. And uh, at the bar, at the inaugural Platform B virtual reality event at the virtual Green Door store, I bumped into who else but 
podcast uh, alumnus Muki Kulhan, uh, Kulhan, excuse me, um, who came to speak about immersive audio, which is very much part of this emerging picture. Uh, so it was a fun night, and I enjoyed the virtual Guinness there myself, and uh, and the, the music was great as well. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the word social there, Daniel. That's such an important part. It's like a thread that connects everything that we're talking about, um, you know, regardless of the technology. And Axel, you actually painted the big picture at the very beginning of our chat today. You spoke about tribal systems and, you know, maybe this is storytelling around the campfire. This is connecting. This is the sharing of history and culture and education. It all comes, you know, it started with the human voice. Um, what role do you think that Clubhouse has today and, you know, via your work at Clubhouse in kind of real time, interactive, social, global storytelling, or could it? I think right now it's fulfilling one of the big promises of technology, which is equalizing the playing field, leveling the playing field, giving voices to people you know, that previously did not have, or let's say giving platforms to people that did not previously have a platform. Uh, obviously, we don't have this problem as much in America, but it's been really interesting to see, you know, as the icon of Clubhouse, a lot of people have reached out to me and wanted me to go and meet, you know, their communities from a very specific country. So I've done talks where I'm talking to people from Russia and it's, it's like a whole bunch of Russians and like they're that, that, and obviously Russia is a massive, massive country. So there's a lot of cultural mixing just within that. Um, but Turkey and again, Australia and uh, the Spanish speaking community and European and Latin America and all over the world. But what's been really interesting is especially in the Middle East, where there are countries where you can't talk about certain issues socially, like person to person, there are taboo topics, you know, either because it's unsanctioned by the government or socially, it's just taboo. And it's been very interesting to see. And Japan is, is actually one of these places where people have said a lot, like there's been a lot of Japanese people who I've met who have said one of their reasons that they really enjoy being on Clubhouse is because people are, they are able to talk about the kinds of issues, social issues in Japan with Japanese people that they aren't able to have those conversations in real life or I, I guess in physical, in the physical world, which is really interesting, right? That an app yeah. with people from your own culture, it's not, we're talking to the outside world about this stuff and now people can hear us. It's we are talking to ourselves in a way that we haven't wow. communicated before. And it's interesting that that can happen. And I think it happens because there's this layer of abstraction, right? where you're not getting faces, you're not getting all these other, other social cues, you're just getting the voice. And it's interesting because when we think about immersive technology, right? We think about how can you be immersive in every sense of the word, right? In every sense, you know, not just 3D, but, you know, feeling and taste and touch and all of these other things. And yet, by actually taking away these other things, Clubhouse is creating an environment where maybe it's not as immersive, but there's a depth of connection that isn't even able to happen in day-to-day -day physical society. And I think that's really interesting. That is Absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Axel. Yeah, that's um, I, I wouldn't have uh, necessarily expected that about folks in Japan being able to connect more so in this virtual space. Um, but uh, and I, I think this is something that 
you are very clear about with your uh, Lullaby Club and your other appearances on Clubhouse is that it's a safe space for people to be themselves, to relax, to connect with people all over the world. Uh, that's a wonderful, hugely important function. So, you know, kudos for what you're doing there and uh, helping people to to be relaxed and free and connect. That's just wonderful. So, Daniel, coming over to yourself, we heard Axel talk there about the idea that technology and you know, the global audio platforms like Clubhouse are helping them to express themselves in ways that would be difficult in everyday life. And, you know, you have been with the rise of radio and its move on to digital since day one, really, in the UK. And you've facilitated a lot of these technology revolutions. Um, What is the importance for you and what do you see with radio and audio formats as being a way to empower people, uh, maybe to democratise uh, communication and, and help underserved voices actually reach the world? So again, another really big and interesting question. I, I think that, you know, historically, I suppose radio version 1.0 or the steam radio I referred to was very much regulated by nation states typically. Mm. And there were all sorts of barriers to entry and uh, discouraging voices that were not just out of mainstream that might have posed some kind of challenge to convention. Uh, mm. And so clearly the technology not automatically knowing boundaries opens these things up. I mean, on a personal level, I was keen to see an approach. My own background through pirate radio was to kind of bypass that regulation or to challenge it and to open it up. And I've played a small part in, in making that happen over the years. The thing that drew me to internet radio at the beginning of, of the century was that prospect of it being open and global, there is a new gatekeeper in town, and that is big technology, without which none of this would be possible. So remarkable, wonderful opportunities, though the quid pro quo is that you are beholden to some pretty big entrenched players. You're also, you'll find some people describe the tyranny of choice or the blizzard of of choice and how you then break through that other than just being completely brilliant, maybe like Axel on Clubhouse. But it is difficult as a lone voice to punch your way through all of that noise. Even if you have, if you're that much of a challenge, we now can see there is this question about how powerful some of these big technology platforms can be allowed to be by coming kind of head to head with with nation states, the concerns that Facebook might throw elections, the concerns in China. In fact, if you think about Clubhouse wanting to shut that down and allowing Clubhouse clones to emerge and then stamping down on, on that. So authoritarian governments and those that, are, that would style themselves to be less authoritarian, feeling very challenged by what this may mean. So, mm. so it's, an, it's, a, it's a fascinating time and it's a really exciting time to punch your way through this, I'd like to think that I retain some of that kind of piratical spirit. And big government and big tech is always going to be slow to move. And it's always nice to to find ways around those obstacles. David and Goliath. Yeah. Although I I have to accept, it's it's probably easier to say that when you know there's unlikely to be a knock on the door and somebody hauling me off to some hidden prison somewhere, which is, right. is I suppose, one of the benefits of, of being where I'm being. 
in different but complementary ways. Both of you are really pushing forward the agenda of what it means to connect with people and express yourself using the audio format and the purpose that audio can have to bring people together in a very in a very real way, in a very meaningful way. So uh, thank you both of you for what you're doing. It's, uh, it's just heartwarming <laughs> to have this conversation. You know, we've kind of examined the landscape and, you know, where things are at the moment. I'm curious to get thoughts from both of you about what's coming up next. Axel, do you want to jump in there and just tell us a bit about what's coming next for the world of Axel and for interactive global storytelling and uh, the Lullaby Club indeed? Um, a lot. <laughs> So uh, I'll start with Lullaby Club. Uh, so, you know, one of the big things that I'm really excited about is us structuring things in a way to have Lullaby Club happening all over the world simultaneously so that no matter what time of day it is, if you want lullabies, you'll be able to get them. And you'll be able to get them from live musicians from all over the world, from all different cultures. You know, it's one thing to have English speaking people doing lullabies and doing that in different countries. And that's, I guess, kind of a cool cultural export. But at the same time, it'd be even cooler if those communities all around the world have, are empowering musicians to create art that is soothing from their own culture. And then, you know, then they can share that with us in return. And so I want to create this cultural exchange of art that is soothing, music that is soothing. To people. Uh, so that is that is like a, a big vision of, of what I'm trying to do, uh, what we're trying to do with Lullaby Club. And of course, monetize along the way so that we can keep doing it <laughs> so that so that we can support ourselves. Absolutely. Um, and then within my own world, just like my little Axel artist stuff, uh, I haven't, we haven't, actually haven't had a chance to talk about it too much, but um, I am a very big proponent of self-love and it's funny. I'd say that the most successful thing I've ever built is a positive, loving relationship with myself. And I did not always have that. Um, In fact, I struggled for many, many, many years with depression and anxiety um, and just a very, very insecure, poor sense of self. Um, and over like seven or eight years, I started when I was 19, I'm 28 now, uh, through therapy and meditation and journaling and some very key psychedelic experiences, uh, I was able to really cultivate um, a robust, loving relationship with myself and create through that, create music that I never would have had the courage to create. And so I'm putting out an EP coming out in April or early May and it's the title of the EP is I hadn't never loved myself and it's five songs that really explore the painful side of this journey you know and but that growth and pain are very much related and pain is not necessarily a bad thing pain is a signal there's a lot to be learned from it Um, and it's been it's about my journey learning how to love myself. And Lullaby Club is really the latest product of that journey. Like the EP, you know, the songs were written a, a year ago. The Lullaby Club came out of this place of me practicing self-love. Um, and so I see them as very related uh, because of that. 
So that's that's what's happening for me, uh, and I'm, I'm very excited about both those things. Fantastic. That's that's wonderful. It's, it's lovely to uh, hear that background about the Lullaby Club. And I, I think it was a few weeks ago, I popped into one of your clubhouse sessions and you were talking very openly about these issues. And you mentioned your ayahuasca experience and it was uh, it was just a beautiful discussion. And I, I think this aspect of calm and self-knowledge and this journey you've been through, it really radiates to people who become part of your community in Clubhouse. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing the single that's coming up. I think that's going to be wonderful. Thank you. Uh, so thank you. And um, Daniel, over to your good self. What is coming up in your world? So there are so many different uh, strings to, to what I'm doing related. I mean, all of these threads eventually come back together. So on the one hand, having plowed a furrow in terms of radio technology and almost ended up down a rabbit hole of working with government agencies and with academic agencies in the British Library, we pulled back and I've talked about Platform B and actually we've launched now what we're calling Platform B's grumpy older sibling, which is <laughs> called Slack City. The, t- the title reflects the character of the, the slightly eccentric small city on the south coast of England that we, <laughs> we call home. And that is much more like the kind of passion for what we're doing, but using what we've learned in terms of technology and deploying that. There's curated radio, but actually what I see for the medium as a whole is this move from the one-to-many to a personalization where you start to aggregate and curate your own radio listening experience. And I can't not offer a, a sort of hat tip to the mainstream where we're seeing organizations like Spotify moving into not just into the podcast space, but looking to kind of see some kind of hybrid between what we think of as radio and playlists, offering customizable live daily shows like The Daily Drive or The Get Up. They follow what US public radio NPR achieved with something called their NPR One app, where you can define your your morning listen with a combination of live or nearly live news with the music and the stories that you're interested in. There is a downside. You could say you by, by the hyper-personalization, you may lose some of the serendipity of bumping into to stories and experiences that you would have experienced along that one-to-many path. But on the other side, we have that kind of global dimension to what we're talking about. If you go to a beautiful app called the Radio Garden, you can surf a globe of 10,000 live linear radio stations. And it is such an incredible experience to literally cover the world, tour the world, and hear voices that were completely out of reach only two decades ago. So there's so much potential, there's so much excitement, more excitement now than at any time that that I can remember. Yeah, well said, well said. And full disclosure here, I'm actually a contributor to slackcity.org.uk. Myself, I'm delighted to have a show called Geek Pie Radio, named after the worst haircut in the history of haircuts. Uh, So uh, fill your boots. And uh, we'll have a link there in the show notes to Slack City and also to Radio Garden, which is a very cool app. So I'd recommend that people check uh, both of those out. And um, we've come to the end of our discussion when it's time for me to ask you a very important question. If you would like to add a song to the Audio Talks title playlist, uh, what would it be, starting with your good self, Axel? Right now, it would probably be Heard It Through the Grapevine by Marvin Gaye. 
Exceptional choice, sir. Thank you very much. And how about your good self, Daniel? What's your uh, audio contribution to our living playlist? Well, I, I thought about, probably thought too much about today's theme. <laughs> and my, my suggestion is, is, is a really magical and weird album by a band called Broadcast. It's Broadcast and the focus group investigate which cults of the radio age. And that seems to fit the bill. <laughs> if you have to play one song, there is a, most of it is just kind of beautiful weirdness, but there is a song, The Bee Colony, B spelt B-E. So there's kind of, kind of clever pun that may appeal, maybe not. Oh, that's such a good shout. I love broadcast. I, I think I might, have, I might have bumped into you at a broadcast gig at the Old Market in Brighton many moons ago. Uh, that was just exceptional. And um, I also thought about today's theme of audio first. I didn't quite give it that depth of thought, I have to confess. And I went straight for You're My First, My Last, My Everything by Barry White, uh, because audio <laughs> is indeed first, last and everything. Uh, so <laughs> listen, thank you both so much for joining us on the Audio Talks podcast. That's been such a fun discussion. Uh, very heartwarming, very inspiring. And uh, I am more fired up than ever to dive into the world of great audio online, on my phone, everywhere. Thank you so much to Axel Mansour. Thanks for having me. And thank you to Daniel Nathan. Thank you. Real pleasure. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment, share and generally get involved. We'll be back soon for some more fascinating audio talks. We will see you next time. But before we go, we have a very special treat for you. Axel is going to perform a song especially for you, the Audio Talks listeners. Enjoy. Over to you, Axel. Like pretty much every time I play Lullaby Club, this is the final song that I play. It's a song of my own. It's called Father Time. Father time, 
I was trying to keep him off his flight Stuck on the ground Maybe so things down Maybe so things down. 